Everybody, welcome. I'm Double T's. To my left, the Red Bandit. Hello there. <laughs> and to my right, I have Pop Pop. Howdy. And today we're going to be talking about a phenomenal film from 1986, a little something I like to call Highlander. It's really a kind of magic, don't you both think? It's beautiful, beautiful film. <laughs> I tried not to lose my head. <laughs> Wah, wah. <laughs> Queen is all over this movie, yeah. isn't it? Probably the best thing about the movie. Yeah, I mean, we've got... How many Queen songs do we have? Obviously, there's... There was... Um, there was... Uh, the first song. There was no... <laughs> there was the second song. <laughs> who wants, who wants <laughs> to live forever? Yeah, there's there It's was, a Kind of Magic. It's a Kind of Magic. There was... Uh, what was the New York, New York. Yeah, right, song, right. kind of creepy. There what was, was the sad one? Um, who wants to live forever is pretty sad. Yeah. yeah. There's no time for us. <laughs> yeah. When he burned down the house with the goats in it. Oh, those poor goats. Those goats. They weren't immortal. Pop Pop, do you want to get us started with some background information about the cast and crew and the basic premise? Yeah, sure. Um, born in the Highlands of Scotland in 1518, uh, Connor MacLeod is immortal. Uh, when he is wounded in battle but does not die, he's banished from his village. Uh, he meets another like himself, Ramirez, uh, who teaches him swordsmanship. Uh, the only way to kill another immortal is, of course, to take his head. Uh, Modern-day New York is the location of The Gathering, uh, where Connor and the few remaining immortals must battle for uh, the prize. It's a good prize. Well, before we talk about the prize, which is kind of the climax of the film and probably loaded with spoiler alerts, wow. uh, <laughs> um, let's take it back to the beginning. The film opens with really a, a remarkable shot. Uh, the camera was mounted on some kind of wiring system. I think it, I think it might have been a blimp. Like yeah. One of those little radio-controlled blimps. Yeah. Like Gareth a Brown. Party blimp, yeah. What? <laughs> the aerial shot coordinator. Oh, good. Okay, good to know. Yeah, he did not overlook his contribution. He had he had his work cut out for him because we open inside Madison Square Garden, the Madison Square Garden in New York City, and they're watching a, a very heated uh, wrestling match. It's not it's not a licensed WWF or WWE match, but it's something of that ilk. The crowd is rocking. Everybody's having a great time, but then the camera swings around. And we see one man is not enjoying himself. A grouchy pants. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Grouchy Pants, none other than our protagonist, Connor McCloud. I thought that this was really an interesting way to, to pull in this character, this dark, mysterious character. He's kind of in shadow. You can see his, his eyes through the at, light. At a wrestling match, yeah. At a, a big old trench coat. Who knows old. what's under that trench coat? There's a lot. There's a lot he's hiding under that trench coat. I think that, that's symbolic of the character, actually. But you can see him brooding. He's dark. You know, he's had this rich background, rich history. Why, why, why do you think he ended up at a wrestling match? I think that, you know, he has to pass the time somehow. I mean, he's been around for, for what? When did you say he was born? In the 1500s? 1500s, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's close to 500 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's what he does to, to pass the time away. But he also has a, has a very important meeting, a fateful meeting. In do, you, do you think he was going to meet that guy, or was he just sort of over the match and he wanted to go home and beat the traffic? <laughs> I think I think he he wanted to meet him and and he was he had to go confront his rival um, Herr Backflip, 
Yeah. But did did they schedule it? Like did like how how did they know? I mean, was Connor like, no, Beepers. hey, sorry, I have a, uh, I have a wrestling match to attend. Meet me in the in the parking meet lot. Meet me in the parking lot afterwards. Yeah. For viewers who might not know, that is. This sets the record for most backflips done by a middle-aged man <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> what, what, what did we count? There was at least 30. Yeah, no, he just kept going, too. Like, even when the, he was off camera, you could <laughs> tell he was still flipping in the background. Uh, what did you guys think of the, of the, the action, the, the fighting in that opening sequence and uh, the fighting just in general throughout the film? Because there's a lot of sword play. So it's a very violent film, but, mm, uh, mm. but I mean, let's just start with the, the opening fight. What do you guys think? Impressions? Uh, Disjointed, very disjointed. Okay. Um, Do you think that that's also symbolic of Connor's mind? Yeah. yeah. On a deeper level, yes. Yeah. The Red Bandit <laughs> raised raised a good point about halfway through the film, which was that he was wondering aloud whether the people who wrote and directed this film were, were drunk at the time. Uh, and from the first fight scene on, you really, like, nothing really makes that much sense. Um, it's it's not a very rational uh, flow. I think they were just tired. That was my main problem with the fight scenes. <laughs> Everyone was just sort of like phoning it in a little bit, you know, <laughs> lobbing your sword, lackadaisically. Lack and... Well, I mean, there was some passion, but between some of, in, in some of the the volleys of of sword play in that first battle, uh, you know, Connor actually puts his sword and beds it into a concrete pillar. Yeah, yeah, and, that was pretty impressive. And uh, you know, as chips. a, I'm sorry, it chips. It chips. Yeah, it loses he, a piece. Yeah, and this this is kind of the way that we bring in the heroine in contemporary New York. Brenda, who's an expert in, what is it, metallurgy? Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, so she's way into this stuff. After, after the sword fight, Connor's taken in by the police. Brenda works in forensics for the police mm -hmm. and is able to, to return to the scene and find some little shards of metal from his sword, and that really uh, piques her interest. And so the, the romance between uh, Brenda and Connor is born, and they go on a series of creepy dates. Uh, Red Bandit, do you like, do you, would you like to elaborate on their creepy dates? Well, yeah, the, the dates don't really start out very well for them, you know? Mm -hmm. He's sort of sitting creepily in a bar next to her, dropping hints that he might have been stalking her. <laughs> And she says, and she catches on. She's like, "Oh, I'm not really into this. So I'm gonna leave now." <laughs> right. And then uh, he leaves, trying to follow her, but it's actually her that's doing the following. Mm. And, and then what happens? And they go into an alley, yeah. and an ogre attacks them. <laughs> <laughs> an ogre played by Clancy Brown, I believe. Yeah, yeah, none other than uh, Clancy Brown. Um, pretty, pretty serious guy there. Yeah. yeah. Although we we did overlook uh, the cut the cut scene to uh, Scotland. Oh. 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 How how could we possibly have yeah. done that? It's 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 pretty emotional to yeah, draw with, back into with Connor yeah. and uh, cousin Dougal. Um, oh. That was one of my biggest regrets. That Dougal, you know, it sort of got cut out pretty he early comes on. Back. He comes back in later films, I think. Okay. Good. Yeah. So we transition. We pan up from the from the parking garage into. 1500 Scotland yeah. and we see Connor as a young happy Scotsman 
joking, laughing with friends. He has a lovely love interest that gives him a, a flower, I believe. Passionate for him. Oh. He wants to be together. Yeah, sends, sends him off to battle with a rose in his hair. And they just keep shouting their, their last name yeah. over and over again. It's a McLeod party. Yeah, no, Clan McLeod on their way to battle. But as they arrive at the scene of the battle, there's a, a bit of a dark turn. And this is where we very first see Clancy Brown as the, the Kurgan. And what's his full name, Pop Pop? Victor Kruger. Victor Kruger, yep. that's right. If there's any... Wait, why is he called the Kurgan? Mm, it's never really explained. Oh, it's clan? It's, yeah, they talked about the clan, the Kurgan clan on the steps oh, of Russia. Oh, they were the ones Russians. that threw the, yeah, they threw their children to the dog pits. Oh yeah, for, for sport. For yeah. sport. I mean, yeah. that is how evil... To fight for meat. A fight for me. Tasty meat. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, very brutal. So Connor has this encounter with the Kurgan. It looks like he's going to be defeated by the Kurgan, but the Kurgan is actually beaten back by Connor's clansmen. Yeah. It looks they just sort of grab him. <laughs> yeah, and, and Kurgan was rather quick to give up for an immortal guy that's like ten times the size of who, everybody else. Who orchestrated this whole battle to like <laughs> kill McLeod and suck his soul out. Right, right. But a couple guys tackle him and it's over. Yeah, he's like, I'll get you next time. Maybe not today. Which is a bit of a motif throughout the film. I mean, how many encounters does Connor actually have with the Kurgan by the end of the film? A couple. Yeah, several. Well, yeah, there, I mean, there, there's, there's the one, the original one in the Highlands. Then there's one... The uh, back in, alley brawl. The back alley brawl. And then there's one in a church. And I definitely want to delve deeper into the church yeah. scene. The yeah, religious yeah, scene. Yeah. I think that religion is one of the themes. Did you have any specific themes that you teased out, Red Bandit? Yeah, I had uh, love, yeah. isolation, yeah. religion, loneliness, bromance, mm -hmm. and sparks. <laughs> that's, that's very perceptive. Do you, do you have any themes to add, Pop-Pop, or would you like to elaborate on one of the, the many that uh, Red Bandit um, just presented for us? No, I mean, I think I'll riff on the, on the love bit a little oh. bit. Um, I think Beatty Edney, who played uh, Heather McLeod, mm -hmm. uh, I think that was the finest performance in the entire film. Mm. Um, Heather. Uh, and Blossom, I believe. Was, was, was it Blossom? His nickname for her? Blossom. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, okay. It uh, is now. I thought, I thought she did Heather. a fantastic job. Okay. And I've already looked and found some nice photos of her on the internet. <laughs> uh -oh. We're going to lose our clean status in iTunes. <laughs> Let's talk about the cops in this movie. Oh, yeah. No, Why were they the so homophobic, racist cops. Oh, man. Yeah, no, they brutalized, they brutalized uh, Connor, who's at that time... They punched him. Oh, on the side of the garden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, by that time he was going by the name Nash. Yeah. Nash, yeah. yeah. What's his first name? Uh, Russell. Russell it, Nash. Uh, Russell Edwin Nash. Yeah, and uh, so he's... Peeling out of the garage, he's just decapitated, a hair backflip, and they, they, they corner him and they just start beating on him, and a cop pulls a gun and puts it next to his head and says, yeah. like, don't even breathe. It's pretty crazy. And that's how they introduce, what's his name, Garfield, I believe. 
right? Officer Garfield. That was the the mean. Officer. Yeah, the mean one who he's making eyes at, and yeah. like kind of you know hate eyes. Especially when uh, they're interrogating him. Yeah, yeah, no, that that gets intense, and that's where you get into kind of the, the homophobic undertones. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they, he starts asking him all sorts of weird sexual questions. Yeah, very very detailed this and kind of out of the blue. Yeah, like it didn't again. Like, were they just drunk? Um, <laughs> they're like, hey, we should you know investigate this, and then. Well, maybe this is just kind of gets to to one of the the main themes that I thought in the movie was um, was New York City kind of as a character in and of itself, you know, gritty '80s New York, you know, where you've got all this dirty crime racist, and prostitution, violence, yeah, violence and like swords, yeah, sex acts in Madison Square Garden parking lots, <laughs> paranoid schizos driving around with guns you know this this is another point i wanted to to get into you know at one point in the movie well there are two characters that kind of had minor roles in this film but i thought could easily uh have entire films made about them one was the uh the paranoid vietnam vet who drives around the city with a car filled with guns and ammo mm. he got sliced good didn't he? <laughs> he he can't even protect himself yeah I mean, he he won't. Yeah, he gets run through by the Kurgan. Spoiler alert! It's it's pretty it's pretty gruesome, but I think it shows the the futility in in self defense. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't you know arm ourselves with all these weapons, but we're powerless. Yeah, when it really comes down to it. When it's true. Yeah, yeah. And and the other character that I really thought could be a star of a future film was the uh, the IT guy that helps Brenda That's right. unlock the secrets of the past. Certainly his vest deserves <laughs> a little more attention. Yeah, yeah, no, there was a lot going on with him. It's very cold where he works because the computers that he's using don't like the heat. And he, un he unlocks the secrets of the immortals never to be seen or heard from again. I yeah. mean, with that kind of knowledge, you'd think that, that he'd have a more important role to play. Yeah, um, it really pushes MS DOS to its limits there. Yeah, no, <laughs> he was really bringing out the handwriting analysis. Mm. Yeah, I think that the, that's where the future is. Computers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Investment uh, tip for our um, could that be a could that be a little featurette we do with uh, the the Red yeah. Bandit <laughs> investment tips? <laughs> the future is computer. Smart money with possum touch. <laughs> a character we haven't talked about at all, which is incredible, is uh, Sean Connery's character, whose name I believe is Juan Wait Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Is that it? What is yes. It? Did yes, I actually get that right? That's exactly right. Wow. Uh, Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. He's yeah. also Egyptian. He's Egyptian, yeah. But has a Scottish accent. <laughs> oh, why? But why he do was you working think, for Spain. Why Spanish. do you think they made him Egyptian? Just, just show, I mean, we, we brought this up in a previous uh, Possum Times. When it comes to these immortals, you know, they've been around for so long, they've lived in so many cultures and experienced uh, so many different things that their accents kind of transcend a, a single ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they made him Egyptian because they wanted to show how old he was. Egypt's old. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's it's true. old place. Yeah. With his disarming Scottish accent, I think it was an effort to kind of show that he's been around the block a few times. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. 
But he really should, arrives as a as a mentor for Connor, and there's a there's a sequence, uh, a montage, training montage, in which yeah. Connor learns a great many things. And they goof off a little bit. Yeah, there's a bit of goofing <laughs> off. I mean, that's what, it's not all serious. Th this is the bromance you were talking <laughs> yeah. about, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, on that point uh, that you were just mentioning, uh, apparently Christopher Lambert spent time with a dialogue coach during the making of this film. To develop an accent which sounded non-specifically foreign. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and he never got rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's succeeded. He's succeeded, and I mean, they bring this up explicitly. Actually, before things get sexual with Officer Garfield, that's the first thing that Garfield says to him: mm. "You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from?" Xenophobia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another theme. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Christopher Lambert had just barely learned to speak English when he took this role. He's a uh, French speaker. Yeah, the only other English <coughs> film he had been in at that point was Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, mm. in which Classic. he just spoke a few words. Mm -hmm. Was mm -hmm. he one of the apes? Unclear. <laughs> Unclear. Let's talk a little bit about the, the church sequence. I mean, religion is really a central theme. I don't know if you noticed, and this is a big spoiler alert, so two spoilers. Wow. Yeah, good. <laughs> Sean Connery does not survive this film. He is decapitated. Mm -hmm. And I don't know Horribly. if you noticed. Oh, yeah, brutally gruesome decapitation but he on gets the some, steps. But he gets some cuts in himself. He does. He had yeah, a critical cut that also, speaking of, of uh, language and being able to speak, he impedes the Kurgan's voice a bit by <laughs> giving his, his, uh, his, his uh, vocal cords a bit of a, a, bit of a slice. But when, when, he, when, when Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez is about to be killed, he goes down to his knees. And I don't know if you saw this, he's praying. His mm -hmm. hand, he's yeah. praying. Yeah, it's true. This foreshadows the, the church scene later on, and one of the... One of the many bits of wisdom that Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez instills upon Conor McLeod is that on holy ground, there there's no combat between immortals. Yeah, even even the Kurgan respects that. Right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so in later on in present day New York, when they when they get when they're there for the in New York for the gathering, the Kurgan approaches Connor in a church, and they have a bit of an exchange. Would uh, either of you like to comment on that? Well, yeah, apparently the, the church scene involving Kurgan, uh, played by Clancy Brown, was mm -hmm. filmed at nighttime with the permission of the priests in charge. Mm. Still, mm -hmm. Brown's lines were ad-libbed and were reportedly considered so sacrilegious that uh -huh. the priests off-camera were making the signs of the cross as he said them. Uh -huh. Wow. Fun fact. Was the, uh, the lick, was that ad-libbed? And was that an actual priest who he licked? I and did he actually lick him? <clears throat> it looked. I don't think that that was an effect. It looked like yeah. he really got yeah. him. Yeah, CGI, CGI really wasn't did. there. No, no. no he actually, really got the him. priest in the church scene was the priest in the church scene was actually an Orthodox rabbi. Oh. Wow. That probably has some deeper meaning there. Yeah. Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> no, no, I would. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to talk about sure. is. Maybe looking at this movie as a metaphor for addiction. Mm. When you when you see when they kill these guys, when the quickening happens, mm -hmm. they like it. It's like a high for them. It's orgasmic. Yeah, it's it's there, the there, best. There's a lot going on with um, hoses spraying and sparks. Yeah, yeah. Explosions. eruptions. Yeah. <laughs> well, although the the term quickening comes from when a baby in the womb shows its first signs of life. 
in its first sort of movements. Uh, that also fits. That also fits. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. <clears throat> no, it totally does. Yeah. Totally does. But it gets back to that heartbeat issue, which is one of your favorite scenes. Yeah, why don't you describe yeah, that true. scene? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there were so many scenes of, of Connor running down the beach with mm. his like shirt kind of falling off. Yeah. I feel mm. like I saw that same shot about four or five times. Mm. I'm, like the I'm, cover of a romance novel. Yeah, I'm, and I mean, <laughs> with, with the heartbeat for the deer, I think I'm going to be thinking that one through for the next three or four days. Can you feel it? Get to the bottom of that. Did Why? it give them strength? It just showed the connection but, with but, their surroundings. But then he didn't have that connection when he saw the lions in the zoo. Did he? With, with Brenda? I mean, He was making eyes at one of those lions. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah. I saw a little wink. They thought that there was some recognition there. Huh. What we haven't talked about is something that I describe in my notes as the Kurgan's joyride from hell. Mm. Oh. And in fact, there were two of these. He's a bit of a goofball. Uh, I don't know if I'd say goofball, more like a <laughs> maniac. <laughs> maniac on the streets of New York. He, uh, he commandeers a car at one point from an elderly couple who just happened to be passing through an alley in the dead of night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was so Watching terrible. two guys fight with a sword. Yeah, and watching the, the explosions fly as a result of the quickening. He, he takes the, the elderly gentleman and tosses him from the car, hops in and drives off with his elderly wife, mm -hmm. to which the elderly gentleman says, hey, that's my car. <laughs> Meanwhile, the last we see of the elderly woman is her on the windshield of the car as he's speeding down a busy street. Yeah. And I imagine that she was ultimately thrown from the car. I think yeah. he probably stopped and let her off. You think? Yeah, yeah. Be my guess. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of left for the audience to decide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Viewers, feel free to write in and tell us what you think happened to the elderly Yeah, woman. we should do an online poll. <laughs> yeah. What percentage of you think that he drove her home and let her off and maybe they had some tea afterwards or if he just flung her off the hood of the car to her untimely death. Uh, but there was actually a second Kurgan joyride from hell. Mm -hmm. This was with Brenda, mm -hmm. and it involved uh, lots of lots of car wrecks. It involved him mowing down people on the sidewalk yeah. in a, a precursor to the Grand Theft Auto games. Yeah. We see the terrified faces of the victims before they're mowed down. He hit a motorcyclist. He hit a motorcyclist, yeah. sent him over a bridge, I believe. Careened yeah. over. Ugh. Terrible. A lot of screaming. Brenda was screaming the whole time. Yeah. And he screamed with her. Yeah. yeah. He joined yeah. in. Screams of joy. Yeah. Well, she kept screaming, shut up, and then he started screaming, shut up. And I think <laughs> that it just showed the just chaos in his own mind. Do you think it was a language issue because he was Russian? He didn't... <laughs> The driving rules aren't the same. <laughs> um, that, I hadn't thought about that, Red Bandit, but that's a point that really does cut to the core and makes me think, you know, is the Kurgan really that bad, or is he just misunderstood? I think a little bit. A little bit? A little bit. I mean, you know, the, the, you, you think, you know, if he's truly that bad, then he cannot love. But we've seen him love. We've seen him love in this film. We saw him love Candy. We saw him love Heather. What, what was McLeod's other friend who only had... Castigier. Castigier, who... I thought he was being really set up to be a hero, and we only see him for... 
30 seconds and then he's getting sliced. Yeah, no, I mean, we do get a little bit of, or what we, well, we get a reference to their past adventures. We go back to 1783, which was a fine year, yeah. if you all remember. It was yeah. the year that, that England recognized the United States. And the Montgolfier brothers went up in their first balloon. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. It was also the year of the famous McLeod duel on Boston Common. <laughs> <laughs> pop, pop, please elaborate. How authentic was that scene? I thought that scene was ridiculous. A, <laughs> McLeod's friend conveying the story wasn't even there. Had nothing to do with it. Uh, B, it wasn't in Boston Common. It was in some hilly area of England. With a stately home in the background. Isn't that what Boston Common looked like in 1783? No, no, it's not. Boston had a lot less people back then. Yeah, Yeah. but it was still, Boston Common was always in the middle of the town. Hmm. Right? This is another job for our viewers to do some research and and email us at at possumcast at gmail.com. You send us an authentic map of Boston Common in 1783. 1783, specifically. There were a lot of flashbacks. There were a lot of interesting transitions in this film. We we mentioned the pan up from the parking garage into Scotland. At one point, there's a dissolve from the the sinister face of Connor into the Mona Lisa on the side of a building. We uh, see them fighting in his sunglasses. That's right. That, that was, was a, a cool good scene. shot. That was a good shot. Um, there's a lot of interesting uh, camera work here throughout. Um, and some really iconic images like the uh, the silver cup sign illuminated in neon lights on the rooftop at the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is this is classic, classic cinema. It'll stay with you. It does. It does. There are any other any other specific uh, aspects of this film that you you guys want to bring up? Do you want to talk a little bit about Rachel, his his daughter, well his his adopted daughter, really, who he he rescues yeah. from from the Nazis? From, yeah, from certain death. Yeah, and he brings her in as effectively his secretary. Yeah, at his cheap uh, labor. As a teacher. <laughs> um, pop pop thoughts on Rachel. I uh, I wanted to know more about her. She yeah. comes back. Uh, this is a spoiler alert, but she comes back in the fourth Where? fourth okay. film. All right, good. Huh. Endgame. Good. She plays really a significant like role in mm-hmm. Endgame. I bet she was she was beautiful when she was younger. And I well, we see it, her younger. We see it, her younger in not not that young. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I and I wonder whether there is any romantic interest with her um, between her and, her and Connor. But yeah. I mean, he he meets her when she's like seven years old, isn't that weird? It's a yeah. little weird, but he's a weird guy. <laughs> he is a weird guy. I think that we're all in agreement about that. Yeah, one thing uh, we haven't talked about is the constant rape eyes throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, he's got them. Yeah, he's... and the girls are into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just break. So we talked a little bit about the dates. I mean, the first date was in the bar. The second date was in the alley. The third date, he goes to her house, and she's got a gun, and she's tape recording the the conversation. And he confronts her on it, and then hands her her own book, gift-wrapped. Storms out. And storms out. That doesn't end well. And then in the next date... Just gets worse. She comes over to his house, and he hands her a a knife, spoiler alert, and has her stab him in the stomach which yeah. makes her fall in love with him and that's the moment that yeah that's the moment she where starts trying yeah yeah 
She starts crying. Uh, there's a bit of a explicit uh, sex scene between them. Where yeah. There's not much left a to the imagination, folks. Yeah, a little bit too much. Don't there. let the kitties see this one. No, no. Time to shield their eyes and send them to bed <laughs> when they, when this time of the movie rolls around. And then you know, next thing you know, you're you're with uh, you're with the lions and tigers. And then yeah. I suppose in what their what's their final date is when she's uh, you know tied up to the silver cup sign and there's sparks and and flooding and you know he cuts off a man's head. So it's uh, it's really a, a bizarre romance, but as as Red Bandit said, uh, all the ladies seem to be into his creepy ways. He's a tortured soul. He is, and he they is. feel like they can heal him. Mm. And speaking of healing, and this is this is the ultimate spoiler, but the end of the film is when the the quickening is completed, and he's decapitated the the Kurgan, and and we have the the prize. And, and for the prize, he says he knows everything and he is everything. Mm. What do you think about this, Pop-Pop? I, I think it's a metaphor for his, his sudden switch from being immortal to mortal. He knows everything because he's been alive for the past 500 years. He doesn't need any more instructions on how to be a human. He is everything. Um, I think talks about him and uh, Brenda having a child. Mm. Yeah, that's something we didn't mention before, that he's sterile. Yeah. All immortals are. All immortals are sterile until they win the prize, and then they apparently can grow old and Reverse have children. vasectomy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the prize. <laughs> All right, I think we're ready for, for closing thoughts and, and final grades, if, if we want to go around the table and uh, Red Bandit, if you want to kick this off. I'm going to say... B minus, because there's still a huge gaping hole of where was he when Kurgan and Sean Connery were fighting. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, and our hero is MIA. Mm. So, I don't know. I thought he was milking the goats. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, there are a lot of goats to be milked, maybe one wandered off. Yeah, it's uncomfortable for them when they're too full of milk. That's right. (laughs) Okay, I take it back. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that was another big question mark for me. Um, you know, when the Kurgan um, taunts Connor in the church about the fact that um, Blossom never mentioned the fact that she was raped by Kurgan, <sighs> if it was indeed rape and just not a, a straightforward cuckolding. Um, <laughs> Which he alludes to. Yeah, they never, they, you never really figure out what, what was up with that. And it, I, found it, I found it very shocking. And yeah. I feel like it's something that wasn't resolved at the end of the movie, so I have to give it a, a, a C minus. Ouch! Yeah. Ouch! I can't wait for Highlanders two and three though. And four and five. Yeah. And four and We're five. gonna do the whole series. Yeah. Get ready, folks. <laughs> Buckle up. It's gonna be a wild ride, <laughs> like the Kurgan. <laughs> the Kurgan's joy ride from hell. <laughs> no, this will be much more enjoyable than all that. I mean, if you Less think screaming. about it, if we've got if we've got five of these episodes, that means that you've got two and a half plus hours of possum times coming at you. You guys are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> For my my final thoughts, this is this is tough. I'm going to have to go with a solid A. For Highlander, the original Highlander film. There's a lot going on. I found this movie to be quite touching, deeply emotional, and I think it will enrich anyone who watches it. 
I think you'll gain a better appreciation for your own mortality, mm. for your ability to love, and just the beauty that can exist in both love and loss. And I mean, these are really the, the issues that, that move us all forward. And as Pop Pop said, as in the, the quickening, you know, the first heartbeats of life, yeah. I think that everyone who watches this movie will feel the, just the power of what it is to live a little bit more strongly. Their own quickening. Their own personal quickening. And this is, uh, this is really an ideal way, I think, to wrap up this episode before we go ahead and watch Highlander 2, The Quickening. Uh-oh. This has been the possum time. Hey Possum Times fans, Double T's here. You can reach out to the Possum Times gang via email at possumcast at gmail.com and via Twitter at possumcast. Let me, the Red Bandit, and Pop Pop know what you're thinking. Suggestions for movies to review are welcome.